Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another TNE Speakeasy bonus episode. This show was comprised of of a very long recording session uh, when me and Eric discussed Slacker, and partway through the conversation, we just spiraled off into discussing Christopher Nolan, and we had a bit of a debate about whether Christopher Nolan stands up as one of the great, you know, kind of high art auteurs of the day, or if he's just a great blockbuster filmmaker. And unfortunately, because it was just, you know, us kind of spiraling off into a casual discussion, we never set up the parameters of our definitions of, say, blockbuster, for example, being the main, I think, issue with this episode, because we constantly discuss, you know, what does he qualify as rather a blockbuster director or someone who just works in the blockbuster field. But again, we never we never define what a blockbuster means to the two of us, and I feel like consistently throughout the episode, we might be using the terms a little bit differently. And Eric isn't here in my little recording, uh, my little editing studio, so he can't give me his definition right now. And so I'm not going to give mine either. <laughs> you guys can just uh, listen to the episode and, and take what you will from it. Me and Eric have discussed and have actually already started recording some episodes on Christopher Nolan, but the next thing that we do... I think maybe is like a little bonus section. Me and Eric will more clearly define our, our views on blockbusters. And so maybe going back in retrospect, this conversation will make a little bit more sense. But for now, I still think we have um, an enjoyable discussion, uh, even if I'm admittedly quite drunk during it. I would hope you enjoy it. It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as your hosts discuss the career of Christopher Nolan. Cat watched Tenet for the first time like three weeks ago. And I was like, oh, finally, Cat, you've seen Tenet. And she's like, yeah, nothing special. <laughs> and I was like, nothing special except for something with time travel we've never seen before. And she's like, we've already seen it in what did she cite? 12 Monkeys, um, The 11th Hour, or The Doctor's Daughter, or something, she said. And something else she cited, and I was like, uh, I don't know if you watch Tenet, because it is not the same as, <laughs> like, it's not the same time travel as what you just referenced, so I don't know. When's a sci-fi party episode, I'm waiting. <laughs> so I'm like, I, don't, I don't know what version of Tenet you watched, Cat. She's like, oh, she's like, it was nothing we haven't seen before. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, that's a hot take. Yeah, I mean, I've got my complaints. My complaints solely come down to my theatrical experience. Use of the dialogue. Uh, there was at least six scenes that I felt were pivotal. 
where I could not understand a single word that was said. Where I was like, I know I'm missing something. I have watched some excellent like rebuttal YouTube videos addressing that and other issues like with Tenet and whatever. I've watched some excellent videos that I think really make the case for Nolan and his creative decisions. Um, uh, one of the yeah. one of the YouTube videos I was watching, the guy was like, you know, people complain about Bane and not hearing him, especially in the original cut of the audio for that movie. And then, of course, the tenant, like what you're talking about. And they were the 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 YouTube documenter was just like, you know, people act like and Dunkirk. Oh yeah, Dunkirk. Yeah, they're like, you know, people act like Nolan is like like he invented this or something. And then this person showed like these little clips from movies from like the 30s, the 50s, the 70s, movies we'd all recognize. And he just shows little clips where they do the exact same thing in those movies. And nobody cares like that it was done in those movies. But now, of course, they didn't do it to the degree or extent that Nolan did. I understand. But the person's like, yeah, this is the thing it's always been. And yeah, Nolan's definitely taking it to the extreme. But he's doing it because to him, it's literally not about the dialogue in those parts even if the dialogue is pivotal to the story you could argue and stuff or (laughs) understanding but nolan made the decision like no i don't want you to focus on the dialogue or the plot i just want you to focus on the feeling in this moment from the soundtrack you know the thumping uh hans zimmer or whatever so again and again i i felt like it was a problem with um the dark knight rises because i felt like some of the motivation was lost although now when i go back to watch the movie with subtitles i actually don't feel like it matters either way because the motivation just does not work for me in in general so i don't care that i miss some of the dialogue oh yeah rises is flawed in that way motivation but i still think it's it's a fucking awesome movie yeah it works it still works especially for bruce's plot which is the only one that you really needs to work the villain plot, I mean, if it's just one movie, but... I, I need to be, find a way to say this better, because it comes up when we're talking about, or when I'm talking about different movies on different podcasts, but this is expert-level movie appreciation where... Um, and I know Red Media, what Red Letter Media, I know they... I don't know how much of it they, they seriously mean when they mock a movie, and how much of it is, you know, just playing for, for laughs. Good question. <laughs> where they break shit down because of all the illogic in the plot and blah 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 um, and with a lot of the Nolan stuff I wish people would just like detach themselves from that for a sec like with Dark Knight Rises like it doesn't make sense and well, how come this and how could you lock down the city and blah, 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 and what kind of stupid plan does Bane have and they're driving around you know how does Bruce show up out of nowhere in a place when apparently Gotham's completely locked down, he just shows up. And I get it. I get it. 100% get it. But why can't people just fucking detach and take it as like an art piece? For instance, if you were watching opera or theater, like live, you know, you wouldn't be like, this set's unbelievable. Like, it's just a cardboard backdrop. Like, how am I supposed to suspend my disbelief if I can tell it's just a, a sheet, you know? You know, or, or like Hamilton, like, you know, it's very sparse on stage. It's like, what? Mm. There's not even a set. I mean, it's the same set, but they don't even change it for, like, the whole musical. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, 
I wish people could do that with some with many movies. And so Dark Knight Rises, there are definite logic flaws, no doubt. But I'm more interested in like just the broad themes that Nolan's trying to convey in that particular movie, even if shit doesn't make doesn't all make sense. And that's the same way I feel about a lot of the Moffat shit when he would get really timey-wimey and crazy. And yeah, he gets reckless with some of his arcs and stuff. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. I hated the one that culminated with the fucking balloons and whatever and Piccadilly Circus and all that shit. But anyway, but still, I wish people would be like, well, this doesn't make sense. And and this is a bootstrap paradox. And how could this... Fuck! He just wants you to connect with what it would feel like to see like your childhood hero and now you're an adult or or something you know yeah i i I can't do it with moffat i just i can't that's my least favorite period of doctor who but with christopher nolan i've always said he's one of the all-time great blockbuster filmmakers like his movies don't necessarily always make sense which is unfortunate because his movies. i think they all make sense but i understand what you're saying they seem like high art they are but they're still high art for blockbusters that's always been my difference where i'm like you can't grade them the same way you grade a kubrick you can't grade them the same way you grade like i don't know what's some other classic film <laughs> I, I don't know no i disagree <laughs> they're still just blockbusters for the most part and i think if i was to agree with your assessment there if i was to agree then i would say then you could exactly slap that label onto Villeneuve. uh but I disagree on both points. But uh, I, if I I think if you agree with it with Nolan, then you should agree with it with him, and you could probably agree with it on Benicio del Toro, and you could probably agree with it. Uh, Benicio, do you mean Guillermo? Guillermo, I was screw those two names. Up. Well, Guillermo is also another great blockbuster director. One of I know, the and, then, great. and then Peter Jackson, and I think yeah, these. That's, it, it hits everybody. <laughs> it, if, if it hits Nolan, it hits everybody. Those are all blockbuster directors. I mean, that's that's no, no, no. Point. But I mean, I mean, they are. But I'm not saying Nolan is Kubrick. It's not what I'm saying. No, but no. just like Kubrick carved out his thing, whatever it is, um, and he is more of a grandmaster status than Nolan, of course. Um, but someone like lynch you know david lynch meticulous director even david cronenberg i feel like is a, a touch above the blockbuster where uh no but he... friedkin no no no, no, no. <laughs> because not okay hitchcock's always gonna win in number of films and in like volume of production yeah king of the blockbusters absolutely artistically and from a, a, a tourist point of view and meticulousness I don't think Hitchcock has anything on Nolan. Um, he has mainstream appeal in his respective time period on Nolan, yes, but as far as mastery and artistry, it's Nolan all day for me. Like if I was comparing those two, uh, for instance. In in do you mean in terms of like the spectacle element or the the plots and the characters? Like in what? In no, what no, 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 no. I mean, I mean overall production and. A tour ship and um how did you describe it again initially uh you said he's the what of blockbusters yeah he he's just a, a touch he's like an expert class in making a blockbuster no no i think like he can almost fool you into thinking no. that this is a genuine high art film 
but none of them really are. I know. I, I take it the other. I take it the opposite. I think they are heart, uh, high art films that masquerade as blockbusters. That's the way I see it. Interesting. That is the way mm-hmm. I see it. They are extremely high art. Um, extremely high art. Because, you know, this reminds me of two things. This reminds me of something me and Sean have talked about multiple times. Uh, how Roger Ebert, you know, he's the movie critic I, I revered for most of my life. Um, I, I held his um, reviews above everybody else. Uh, yeah. uh, even though he wasn't... Anyway, that's another conversation. But anyway, so Roger Ebert famously... <laughs> always said that he could never consider video games as much as they're advancing in delivery and graphics and storytelling he could never consider them like a true art form um famously he held by that like until his death and it makes sean crazy that you wouldn't consider (laughs) like many video games as like art um and uh and that's what I hear. That's how I hear you talking about uh, Nolan right now, because because to me he's not only just art, oh. he's high art to a crazy like um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, not Wonderkin, but uh, like savant level artisan. Fascinating. Yeah, we're in completely different camps. <laughs> and the other way I compare it to the video game thing as art, um, it'd be like examining like a meticulous timepiece from like 1879 um and looking at it and looking at all the like inner workings of it and everything and all the little dials and cranks and everything and just looking at it and going yeah that's not artistry or that's not it's it's just parts put together or something like that's the way i hear you talking about nolan like it's just it's just these elements that go together and make a blockbuster, even if it's like an amazing blockbuster or he's got it down to a science. That is not how I see his movies or his catalog. But but they are blockbusters ostensibly. I mean, I mean, I don't know how to view them otherwise. No, I think his his movies are as art driven as Kubrick's are. Even though again, he's not. He's oh not my Kubrick. goodness! No, I a million. <laughs> percent stand behind that even i'm not saying he's kubrick i'm just saying in in his own nolan way he is he is pushing it all um and i would say this too in a different way he is as much an art filmmaker as scorsese is oh oh no 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 come on (laughs) no if if anything he's more consistent than scorsese just like we were talking about ridley scott earlier in terms of volume, I mean, Scorsese's... I'm not talking about volume. I'm just talking about consistency uh, of, of always sticking to his art guns. Because the only one of his movies that is lower ranking on, like, the artorship or the, the artistry is... Um, which which would more make your argument, I think, would be uh, Insomnia. That comes across... I've never seen. That comes <laughs> more across as more blockbustery less arty even though it is still arty it, it is still has nolan it still has this good stink all over it but it comes across as his most like straight up like mainstream movie i would say of all his movies interesting yeah no he's got this beautiful veneer which i think 
in a way is like this disguise to it's cover not, up it's that he's not, making. Yeah, but you're right. But you're still re- no, no, no. Disguise what? <laughs> disguise the fact that he's making these fairly simple blockbuster films. He just he takes that Tarantino. He's always been kind of a Tarantino in a no, way. No, no. I disagree on every level. And one of the reasons, one of my simple arguments on to make my case is that so many of his movies um inception interstellar probably dunkirk um Mm. for starters um i know a lot of people who've seen those movies like mainstream moviegoers shall we say everyday people and they let's say they liked it or they didn't hate it any one of those movies they go yeah that was pretty good and i go oh yeah you liked it so did you really understand did you get the movie oh yeah yeah i got it yeah i get it It wasn't complicated and so you know dreaming a dream i get it or dunkirk you know whatever or interstellar oh the stupid thing i always hear people say yeah i get it the whole point is like um uh, love saves the day i'm I'm just oh that's more reductive yeah i know it pisses me off but so what i'm trying to say though what my point is is that Part of the reason why I say these movies are not just masquerading is because mainstream people will see the movies, potentially enjoy them, and just go, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. You know, just like Kat just did the Tenet. That's another one. Um, And she goes, yeah, yeah, it was all right. I got it. And she's like, it wasn't confusing. I understood it. But I'm always, I always question, like, did you really uh, understand Tenet or Inception? Because... What's so fascinating about many of the um, Nolan movies is that many of them, so many of them, are open to interpretation. And you can, like, I felt pretty confident after I watched Inception for, like, my seventh time. I felt pretty confident. I pretty much got my head wrapped around the movie, you know? And then only to discover something that was new to me, like, five years later. Um... Which other people, when I tell them, they go, oh, yeah, I knew that. I go, shut the fuck up. You did not know that. Or, like, um, because I didn't really, until years later, start to really glom on to the fact that, um, that, uh, it sounds so obvious when you say it now, but that Leonardo DiCaprio was stuck in a dream the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. Mm-hmm. Hey, I remember, I I can't tell you the the people that I was around during 2010 talking about Inception. Like, it was high art, the most brilliant film that anyone's ever created. That it was the second coming of Christ. And hearing all these theories and being like, it's 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 not Eraserhead, you know? It's it's not a brilliant piece. Did of, you see Eraserhead in uh, Slacker? In the film Slacker? Yes. No. It's there. It's there. Like a, like a poster or something or yes oh interesting yes. I know I missed yes. it hmm. yes it is and, and there's many other references to famous movies uh, by other people but anyway um, it's it's a wonderful piece it's it's got a great structure to it it's got a brilliant kind of emotional core to it great performance by DiCaprio and that actress who I don't remember her name see masterful <laughs> blockbuster whatever movies. What comes to my mind is stuff like the original Superman motion picture or the original Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, uh, those are masterful black blockbusters. Um, 
Inception transcends all those movies in its own unique way. I'm not saying it's better than all those movies, but I'm saying it transcends them in terms of art by far. For it's me. one of the great blockbusters. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree 100%. It can be a block. It's also a blockbuster. It is also a blockbuster in its own way, Inception is. But it is more than just a blockbuster. It is not your everyday blockbuster. Ugh, I was almost thinking of something else that is like what I'm talking about. See, see, that's that's why you want to glom on to Inception, because Inception, Inception, the Prestige, I feel like are his two unique films. You you could throw Following into there, where that one, those three kind of break the bounds of a blockbuster in a way. Uh, but Following isn't quite a full feature as well. It, it's it, uh, it's not quite a complete piece. I, I think, think they all do, um, and I I would consider the Batman ones is almost being aside from i already mentioned insomnia i would name the uh the batman movies as being his most conventional blockbusters Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're not for the genre that they represent because i love the the mcu as much as anybody but none of those movies are high art the way the nolan batman movies are um some get close in a way but but none really nowhere near um, some get somewhere like get in the orbit, but just yeah, yeah I agree. Oh, here's another one. Okay, here's another one uh, that I don't know how it'll split you or split us or not. <laughs> so, if we're trying to talk about blockbuster versus high art, then what would you say about The Sixth Sense? Mm, that's interesting. That one's it's it's almost a movie that shouldn't have been a blockbuster. I. It's almost in the high art. feel that it, and I'm just thinking of this now, so I haven't worked it out yet. But my initial take is that it is like Inception in the way I'm arguing, which is it is both a mainstream blockbuster and it is high art at the same time. Yep, I, I agree. Wait, but how can you agree if you don't agree with Inception? <laughs> I, that's that's why I said I didn't want to necessarily focus on Inception because I feel like that in the prestige are like his two kind of standout films. Where but they... I actually think The Prestige is is much more mainstream than Inception. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, no, no, I don't agree. Okay, well now I'm super confused. <laughs> I, I don't agree in the sense that The Prestige, I don't think, has the same appeal. No, it does not have the same appeal. No, it does not have the same appeal or notoriety. No, it doesn't. But what I'm saying it is, as Nolan-esque twisty as it is, it feels more... Mainstream in execution, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Not mainstream in popularity, mainstream in execution. Like, there is a twist, but it's it's a more down-to-earth twist. I'm not even focusing on the twist. I feel like the, the characters are too complex for normal blockbuster fare and the prestige. Well, they're... Also, I didn't, is that another category uh, or condition of a blockbuster that can't be intense character work? Because then I'll have to... Modern day... 70s you can have super like asshole characters oh absolutely in the 70s um 80s on i feel like blockbuster leads are not those kind of characters the prestige but i remember when they came out and before i realized what nolan who he was and what he was capable of i remember because you know famously prestige is one of those movies that came out as like a as a intentional unintentional couplet like how you have Volcano, the movie, and Dante's Peak, and Bugs Life, and uh, Ant, whatever. Oh, the Illusionist. 
<laughs> so of course prestige came out just very like two months away from like the illusionist or whatever and i remember i didn't want to see either one and i was like fuck mm -hmm. these movies <laughs> and then wow. i think i saw the illusionist first and i was like okay i was like the illusionist was better than i thought it was gonna be but i'm still i still don't want to see the prestige because i've already had enough of this yeah. magician shit and then eventually i saw the prestige like probably like <laughs> more than a year later and then i was like oh fuck did i have this all turned upside down and wrong because the prestige is a fucking amazing movie and, and uh, yeah super quality picture super underrated in no one's catalog absolutely no one is an auteur uh on a kubrickian level not the same level Ah. But he's in near orbit. Oh my goodness! See this, this is this is where my line, where my alarms like go off, because I I really like Nolan. That's... The one that probably pushed me over the edge, in retrospect, was Interstellar. Interstellar was so much more. Again, that that's my example of it was high art in blockbuster clothing. Um, ah. and I heard oh. so many reductionist <laughs> hot takes. Uh, on Interstellar, so many, especially fucking Bald Brian on the Adam Carolla show. <laughs> fucking, oh, that was a great movie. It was, it was really well shot. Like, amazing special effects, but there's not really much there. There's not really much meat on the bone. Oh, when I hear shit like that about Interstellar, I just want to kill myself. I just want to do like a mass killing spree of innocent victims <laughs> and then, and then end myself with suicide at the end of it this is gonna hurt you but i i in some ways agree and in some ways i don't agree oh, i a million percent disagree with those hot takes like the one i just gave like what paul bryan says oh fuck fuck in, in terms of the technical craft <sighs> i think it's nolan's some of nolan's best work i mean it's hard to the dark knight is his best work technically in my opinion but interstellar is an easy second best Actually, Dunkirk, you know, maybe Dunkirk. I forget about that movie. For the long, for the longest time, I considered Dark Knight like his his greatest all around effort. For a long time, I did. But no, uh, <laughs> uh, what what did I say when I was talking about Tenet with somebody? Um, I don't think Tenet is necessarily the greatest Nolan movie but in terms of Nolan on his quest to hone his craft whatever that means to him I mm -hmm. think Tenet is the most advanced movie of all his movies um, I think Tenet as a whole as a production as an execution is a culmination of everything he's been doing in his movies preceding it like everything he's done has led to Tenet. Now, whether you love Tenet or not, that's a whole different situation. I'm not talking about that. But it's mm -hmm. it's a culmination of everything he's been doing, and, and I don't know where the fuck he's gonna go from there. But Interstellar, oh, I think, and I know this is a very personal opinion, <laughs> and I know it's not widely hailed or regarded by anyone, but I think that everything that went into Interstellar, in front of the camera and behind the camera and pre-production and writing and everything else, I think it is as much on the level as 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, no, no, no. 
<laughs> I knew this was coming. And I even think it surpasses 2001 Space Odyssey in certain aspects. Um, and I don't just mean modern technology because that would be silly uh, to say. But I mean, soup to nuts, um, Interstellar is an advancement uh, of 2001. Now, see, it's an unfair fight wow. because 2001 gets all these extra points that are intangibles that you can't take away but it's just like unfair advantage because of the time it came out in and and how more groundbreaking it was for its era so it gets all these freebie points that are unfair advantage for 2001 um and 2001 already has its long list of bona fides in this day and age which interstellar doesn't have and may not ever have anything close to even you know 30 40 years from now but i in my mind it is right up there on level of achievement for the respective directors it very much is so and i know almost nobody agrees with that statement i just made but i wholeheartedly believe it just just the scope in the concept of 2001 starting at the dawn of man seeing the evolution and then coming to the conclusion that it does every single time i've seen that movie it brings me to tears in the end like it just blows me over completely i've never had that experience with interstellar well i'll one up you because then inter- oh oh okay this reminds me of a conversation me and sean had off mic about interstellar <laughs> Uh, which bring, brings up a really other great, interesting subject that you can mull on for the next two decades. Um, no, literally. Because some of our other friends had hot takes, like what I said like um, about Interstellar. Like Kyle Anderson and Warren Frey. Or Fry. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, technically good movie, but... You know, they could have cut, you know, 40 minutes here or there was this unnecessary this and what was the purpose of this, you know, and did they have to have the do no ma like we already get it. And then, you know, it didn't really, you know, resonate with me, whatever the fuck. Um, oh, because you just said how 2001, how at the end, how it moves you to tears or whatever, like every time you watch it. Crumbles me apart. Love it. Interstellar crumbles me to par- apart probably at least a minimum of three specific sections of the movie moments. And every time I've watched the movie so many times, and I lose it at all three places like every single time. So if that's how I was to judge my personal opinion, then Interstellar would blow 2001 out of the water for me personally. <laughs> Uh, if that was my barometer of judgment. Um, and then, so me and Sean were talking about this. Well, the same thing. And Sean was like, like, really? Like, and what parts? And I explained the parts. And he was like, well, yeah. He's like, I guess. But he was like, and I explained to him. And I'll explain it to you now. Just like I make the age argument for like certain movies and I tell you like it's different when you see it in your 20s and you see it in your 40s and whatever like there's movies that'll change based upon your personal level of life experience at that point in time well Mm -hmm. related to that with Interstellar I was telling him you know the reason why all our 
Doctor Who friends, quote unquote, don't give a shit about Interstellar uh, the way I do is because none of them have progeny. Not a one of them. Not a one of them has a child or has raised a child. And none of them particularly like children, including you, Sean, which he'll self-admit. He's part of that club himself. I said, it's all of you. All of you universally share that. And I'm telling you, if you're like me, someone who's had a kid, a kid who's grown up, when you watch the movies that deal with father-son parental situations in a, in a deeply dramatic way, they will hit you in, in, in the most dramatically different way if you have raised your own children. I was like, not raise your niece or not adopted a kid for two years or you raised your kid brother. No, when you actually have a child of your own, I think it makes it in a weird way, mentally makes a difference if there's some, like if they have your DNA, uh, like your biological offspring, not your stepchild. Um, and you raise them and they grow up and, and all the other things that are involved in that. And you watch any movie that deals with deep parental issues you will see it and experience it a whole different way. And Sean, when I explained it to Sean, he kind of conceded, yeah, there's probably something I have there, or there's some truth to that that he will never know because he's never going to have children or raise children himself. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that shades so much. And so if you're 21, let's just pretend. I wish. God. If you're 21, there's no way in the possible wor- world, I mean, of course, you could have a kid at 21, but there's no possible way you could have raised a, a young adult at the age of 21. You know, it's mm. you know defies everything. It's, it's impossible unless you have a time machine. Um, and so, therefore, in my mind, it would be impossible for a 21-year-old to grasp the full effect of a movie like Interstellar. It's just, it's by the laws of physics. It's impossible for them to have attained the optimal experience. So to to draw a poor metaphor, it'd be like saying that you would never have 20-20 vision until you're 29 years old. So anything that you watched pre-29, you're never going to see it the way it's supposed to be seen. Um, And you, my friend, are still wearing those lenses as it applies to something like Interstellar and many other movies that are nothing like Interstellar, but um, it makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Yeah, I mean, I, of course, the way you relate to the emotional impact of films all comes down to the individual person. Guaranteed, most people who watch 2001 would not have the same kind of reaction that I do. I have it for very, very specific reasons. But, and, and again, I when Interstellar came out, I saw a lot of the negative reaction. I was like, this this is kind of a great blockbuster film in a scope that we haven't seen in, I don't even fucking know how long. Like, this is a, a stunning achievement. And, yeah. But see, but see, also you're, you're reminding me of what people are saying. Uh, those are like the same critical type statements I heard about Tenet. Like, oh, it's, it's, you know, groundbreaking filmmaking. He's showing us action scenes the like of which we've never seen. Much of it is practical mm-hmm. effects, which makes it more stunning. But there wasn't really a story to like grab onto. There wasn't a character to fall in love with. There wasn't, you know, 
whatever. I'm saying that's what I heard the same thing about Tenant, and I understand that point of view. But there actually is a lot more to Tenant than just amazingly executed action scenes and sequences and amazing camera work. There's like more to it, and that movie would break me up because I don't know for some reason. A lot of people who watch Tenet didn't really take um, the tall girl. They didn't really take her character and and her character arc seriously. I don't think. Yeah, I, I'm in a different boat because of my affection for her from the Night Manager TV series, where she played a very similar role. I've heard of this in, in the uh, post Tenet, but I never knew this pre Tenet. Yeah, in fact, saying that she played a very similar role is disingenuous. She played almost identically the same role. And she did it brilliantly both times, so I was, I, I was taken away by her in both of them. I also think she's gorgeous, but <laughs> that's its own. Uh, that's my own booze important. Oh, and another thing I think people don't appreciate with Tenet, whether they figured it out on their own or you tell them. And I go, so you know who uh, Robert Pattinson is, right? In the movie, um, besides being Robert Pattinson, you know he's he's the boy. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Which boy are you talking about? Uh, the tall girl's son. I remember the son, but... Well, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. So a lot of people didn't catch that. Um, if you go back... And see, this is the thing. Just like Inception, where interviewers always ask... They always ask Nolan, So, was Leonardo DiCaprio really in a dream or not? Um, was that real when he was going back to see his children? And Nolan always says, "I'm not gonna say. I, it, I like I like my movies to be open to the audience's um, perception or whatever." He says he never gives straight answers like when they ask questions like that about his movies. Uh, and the same thing with Tenet. People go, "So you know, is is Robert Pattinson the boy grown up? Hmm? If you think it is, or you know, or not." See, with Tenet, uh, I can't judge fully because I only got to see it once in the theaters before they closed down. I never picked up the physical release, so I've only seen it the one time. It's funny you saw it when it was closing down because that was like the first movie I saw when they reopened. Well, they had already been open, but it was the first new movie that came out. Yeah, our, our theaters have opened and closed so many times it's infuriating. It drives me fucking crazy. But, <laughs> but even though Nolan will say, I'm not going to say if, that, if Pattinson is the boy. If you pay attention to the movie, there's at least four or six clue, like direct clues, if you really pay attention, that it's like, okay, well, obviously he put those clues intentionally to hint that, yeah, that is in fact Robert Pattinson is the boy grown up. And see, that just gives another layer of processing the whole movie when you watch the whole thing again. Because if you start thinking about it, that Pattinson is that little boy and Washington, the protagonist is doing all this shit and he's actually doing it because he's trying to save this mother and child. And that's actually Robert Pattinson as a young boy. So Robert Pattinson grows up with his knowledge and now feels indebted to like save Washington. And of course that's the very first thing that happens in the opera is Robert Pattinson saves Washington, like in the first three minutes of the movie. And part of the reason he saves him, it's kind of a Terminator thing. Because if he doesn't save Washington, then who's going to save him? But anyway, um, I get it. But there's so much more. And then and then 
Pattinson already delivers an amazing performance in his character. But then when you reflect on he's the little boy who knows everything um, that's happening in the movie from start to finish, like it adds even more to his character and his performance when you put it in the whole context of things. Yeah, I, 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 again, I can't comment too much about that movie because I've only seen it once. But <laughs> but also I'll say this to people and I'll go, so did you realize that Pattinson was the boy? And they'll go, oh, was he? Oh, okay. I go, okay. Or I'll say, so did you know Robert Pattinson was the boy? Oh, yeah, I figured it out. That's all you have to say about that? Like, I just don't fucking get it. <laughs> like, Sometimes those things just don't mean as much to, to some people. I don't fucking get it. <laughs> but this is part of the high art, not just the reveal. But when you go back and you see, oh, this is all by design. It's all just like Sixth Sense. When you realize that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Um, and you go back and watch it. That's the fun is rewatching it with the knowledge. Because then you realize he never physically interacts with any objects. He never talks to anybody else. Nobody ever acknowledges his existence besides Haley Joel Osment. And you realize, oh, this isn't a cheat where they just say, oh, he was dead the whole time. No, it was in the movie the whole time, and, and most people never saw it, even though it was there the whole time. And again, Nolan does that shit so masterfully that a lot of times people never notice. And they just go, oh, yeah, that was a cool movie. And just never fucking got anything. Yeah, and again, I, I feel like he has some of those really brilliant kind of three-dimensional layers in something like Inception. I don't necessarily feel like that in most of his movies, I would say, though. I don't really feel like that in Following. I don't really feel like that in Memento. I, I, I feel it all the way in uh, Interstellar. In, in Interstellar, I... I... Three-dimensionality, three a billion percent. Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite there with Interstellar. I de I'm definitely not there with Dunkirk, either. I really like Dunkirk in the spectacle element but that one now see dunkirk to me and i love that movie of course but that to me is almost like what we were talking about with link later a thousand years ago um <laughs> about he it's all dunkirk to me is almost like an an already well-established filmmaker top of his craft who is still experimenting like he was an up-and-comer and like hmm how will this work out absolutely and i think it's an interesting experiment i think it's super interesting um because i've heard a lot of people say yeah interstellar was good but but the the, the time dilation completely un unnecessary and confused me and took me out of the movie i've heard that so many times by different people regular people and critics and and i disagree i mean it, it it does make it confusing the first viewing for sure but that's the thing the movies i consider the great great movies are the movies that i continually rewatch and get new things out of um and 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 no one's about as deep as it goes just like kubrick and tarantino um that you can just keep getting fucking more shit because 
of everything they crammed into it from the script to the screen and everything in between. Oh, that rhymes. I should write that down. Um, he's on my list of the high art auteurs, artistes of the, of the filmmaking. Yeah, with, with Nolan, I feel with some films, I, I just don't feel it across the board. But that's that that we we definitely have a great disagreement there. I'd love to actually go through his movies and it's every movie he has, except to a lesser degree, with Insomnia, which is still a fantastic Nolan movie. I just think that's that's the only weakest link in the argument I'm trying to make. But it's still fantastic. Nothing- Even following Memento, I mean, I feel like those are those aren't really high art films. Those are gimmick films. <laughs> okay. Memento always blew me away and even still does when I watch it now. And that was another movie that I saw it the first time. I rented it and it was a rental that I rewatched like six times or something before I returned it. Like in the same two days, I watched it like six times. Fucking blew me away. Um, But following... Okay. Following to me is like... Uh, from a f- filmmaking engagement point of view, Falling was what Nolan was able to do at that stage, where Linklater was able to do Impossible to Plow. Um, Falling was what Nolan was able to do at that stage, where Waters had multiple maniacs. And so when I look at it in that context, or like Following is what he had when. Steven Spielberg had Duel, which I've never seen, so I need to see, watch and see if it if it makes me right or wrong. Yeah, or just to throw one in, Aronofsky made a movie called Pi, which I always think of following in Pi in the same... I always think of them in the same vein. I've seen Pi. I don't remember much about it, but I remember it impressed the shit out of me, Pi. Yeah, Pi's better than following, but <laughs> they, they feel similar to me. Okay, but I'm just saying, for being his first feature length... That's about as good as you can get, I think, with following for like a very extremely low budget first time type movie. Yeah, I, I just feel like that in Memento feeling the same way where it's more of a, a gimmick kind of movie. And there's not much. It, those are two dimensional movies. No, I think of following is more again. It's more like on like a it's it's OK as it, in regards to Nolan's work and his filmography to date. Um, following to me is like his killer's kiss and memento is like his the killer oh oh those are so much better both those movies <laughs> uh i'm not saying they're better i'm not saying those two Nolan movies are better than those two kubrick movies that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is where they fit into the grand scheme of those directors work output i think that's how significantly good the nolan ones are to his filmography as those two are to what Kubrick was going to do down the road, I mean, by comparison, but he already achieved so much with those those two. And that's how I feel about following him. No, but also, when you get into, like, the micro-budget world of films, following is fucking up there, uh, I think. And, and it's the same weird conversation, like, if we were going to talk about Robert Rodriguez and El Mariachi and Desperado being, like, his first two. Oh yeah, because yeah. El Mariachi is really fucking good for a seven thousand dollar movie, mm-hmm. like really fucking entertaining and good. Um, and then Desperado, you go, holy shit, this guy just went to another level of filmmaking. 
yeah, I just I just bring those two up as an example of I think Nolan can be a little bit more obsessed with the technical element of making movies. I feel like following a memento definitely have that. I feel like Dunkirk definitely has that. And I also feel like Batman Begins to a certain element has that. Well yeah, and Tenet does too. He does get obsessed with that. I agree. But I still think there's enough left on on the bone that makes up for I agree. the other aspects. This besides the technical gimmick, if that's what you want to call it. But that's why I say he's more in the blockbuster vein, because I feel like he's more interested in pushing the Yeah, but there's nothing blockbuster about Memento. No, no. But it's still a fucking great movie. But it is about the gimmick. I mean, have you seen the reverse version of that movie? Yes. Like it's I don't know why you're laughing. It doesn't really hold water in that version. It feels like a very bland film. It doesn't hold Okay. Okay. Okay, you definitely wouldn't watch it like that. Um and it's yeah. definitely worse if you watch it. It's about the gimmick in in proper order, but it still works though. Mm. Not as a not as an amazing movie, but it works like oh, like the movie doesn't cheat. What I'm saying, like it that that's true. It still it still plays by its rules that it's set out. Yeah, it just it feels flat. It is flat if you do it that way. Of course, it's flat. Yeah, the 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 spark of life that makes it interesting is the technical gimmick, the craft of it. Yeah, but that's like saying like again, it's like building an amazing like artisan timepiece. It's like, okay, I see what you did there. You made the gears the exact right size and they fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, but you didn't make art. I'm not saying they're not art. That's what I hear you saying. That, that's that's why I, I don't... It's not just art, though. It's high art. Oh, I, I mean, when you, see, when you see a masterful antique timepiece and you see its inner workings, that is high art and craftsmanship. I hear you saying it's just craftsmanship um, in regards to the movies. No, I... Um, but I, I think it's both. That's why I say Nolan's one of the great blockbuster filmmakers, because in the boundaries of making blockbusters, he makes some of the best blockbusters you'll ever see. See, 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 now this, like, Spielberg. Obviously, he's the king of blockbusters in the modern era, especially. I think Nolan's better. <laughs> <sighs> but I'm not a Spielberg fan. That's, that's... No, no, no. Our, our poll, our unscientific poll would disagree with you, because... It's not shocking that in our unscientific small pool sample that nobody could touch Spielberg uh, um, in our little poll. It, that, that that would very well be. I I'd be an outlier. That's not that's not surprising. That's not surprising. No, I don't agree with it. <laughs> Sean doesn't agree with it. You don't agree with it. But it's not shocking that most people agree with it. And, and they're not just people who just only watch mainstream movies. You know, some of those people who voted that way have seen off-the-beaten-path movies and appreciated them, but they still think Spielberg's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I was trying to say was, um, let's just say that Spielberg is the king of blockbusters as far as the world is concerned. And there's no denying that there's art in Raiders or E.T. or... Um, 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 I was gonna say Jurassic Park again. <laughs> well, there's it's, it's it's definitely art, 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 art. Uh, there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of depth, in every way you can measure depth, um, yeah, two dimensional. I, I, 
Yeah, but meaning looking at it from so many different angles, not just the visuals, not just the filmmaking, not just the, the acting, but every possible aspect of filmmaking. Um, Nolan is 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 still more the. Uh, I know this is personal taste, but Nolan just has so much more to offer me in in his catalog than Spielberg ever will. Absolutely. Um, and and same thing like if it's Kubrick versus Spielberg, same argument. And there is just they're all amazing filmmakers, but there's just so much more depth and thought and introspection I feel that goes into the uh, and and pushing yourself to the limits. There's more of that with by far with Kubrick and Nolan versus Spielberg, or or so it seems. Because I know no one's gonna tell you that Spielberg, you know, doesn't put his all into his movies. I'm sure he does, but yeah, I don't say blockbuster filmmaker is like a pejorative. I think that's its own vein. I just tend to think one of them is more like. I mean, there's a reason Christopher Nolan makes PG-13 movies almost solely. He's making them specifically to earn profit. I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. I don't know. I don't think he'd ever make another R-rated movie. I think he's very... He's Everyone talks about him... I don't know that. ...as very focused on kind of the business of making a movie. Even, I don't... I don't subscribe to that either. Really? I mean, even even if that's true, even if that's what people are saying, I don't subscribe to that... That's that's one of the reasons he's had such a big kind of public kind of crisis due to tenant. I don't. It's because it's been kind of a flaw. I don't see him. And I mean, this is all subjective, but I don't. I don't see him as being preoccupied with that. Really, I've heard lots of interviews where they're like, "Don't mistake it, Christopher Nolan. He's a very kind of profit-minded filmmaker. Like he makes, you know, more artistic blockbusters." Now, I think he probably expects most of his movies to do well financially. But I don't know that that's his like guiding light, or the science that he's trying to unravel. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying that he's not like someone like John Waters, who makes a movie doesn't give a fuck if the audience turns up or not. He's making the movie he wants to make. Oh no, he he is not that. He is not that. He is not that. But I find, even though they're radically different uh, as filmmakers, I find tons of kinship between the likes of Nolan and Tarantino. Yep. Um, I agree. There's so much kinship. Um, I love how both of them almost demand that their movies be presented a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, to certain standards. And Lucas is like that too. Yeah. Or was like Paul that. Paul Thomas Anderson is another one. Yeah, and and I'm all about that. And I I'm, I'm, I love how they speak like purists as film lovers, <laughs> uh, Tarantino and Nolan, and how they love analog. And let's not forget, like, how dutifully... Oh, did you know that Nolan um, um, directed, like, the, the restoration of 2001? Yep, I heard he had a big part in that, yep. I think they it's even... It's fucking amazing. It's fucking amazing. I mean... Yeah, I think when I saw it in IMAX, they even interviewed him. Yeah, it, it, that restoration is the best classic movie restoration, bar none. Yeah, stunning, stunning work, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Wizard of Oz and 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 uh, Gone with the Wind are amazing restorations too, but they're just restorations. 
like they're just brought back to life and vitality um the, it was more of a nuanced artistic restoration that happened to 2001 specifically mm-hmm. vis-a-vis uh nolan um and and that's why he's like he's tarantino-esque in that way because they're they're like movie purists like down to their soul i love their dedication to like you know stock stock uh film stock uh like analog if they can or both of their dedication to like practical effects as much as possible how they're both Mm -hmm. pretty anti cgi even though there's there's a little cgi in their newer movies well a lot in nolan's but that's not his thing that's not his thing whereas someone like spielberg and lucas are all about the cg there's nothing wrong with that or peter jackson or the wachowskis there's nothing wrong with embracing cgi but i like this let's do what we can do to the extreme like practically yeah this this is probably gonna piss you off but as someone who's grown up being a fan of both those directors i always viewed tarantino as kind of a continuation of the cinema aspect of kind of um i don't want to say necessarily mainstream but he is like a mainstream director and then on the other end was christopher nolan kind of continuing the great blockbuster films and those two yeah, they're they're similar in a lot of ways in terms of the way they look back at old cinema and kind of, I was going to say perfected, but that also doesn't quite work. I, I don't know how to say it anymore. Uh, I, 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 no, I, yeah, we're obviously both entrenched on our sides, but um, I still look at, I'm telling you, Nolan to me is an outstanding independent genre filmmaker whose Venn diagram just happens to heavily uh, encompass blockbusters at the same time just happens to you know okay like Terry Gilliam Hmm. he's a very unique autistic filmmaker yes absolutely so I think that Nolan is just like that he's a Terry Gilliam except if somehow Terry Gilliam's movies just came off with that mainstream blockbuster appeal you're talking about I, and I think the only difference is that is that Terry Gilliams at the end of the day don't, and they don't for a reason because they are extra whimsical and weird and odd in certain yeah. kind of ways. Um, and Nolan's are, but not in the same ways that Gilliams are. I mean, they're odd and weird in a, in a different um, heady kind of way uh, that blockbuster audiences don't necessarily notice or pay attention to. So, um, but. But I think they are so uniquely them in, in their execution and uniqueness, Gilliam and Nolan. It's just Nolan, at the same time, is able to woo in like mainstream audiences. Yeah, and I, and I totally accept the argument that his movies appeal to wide audiences that don't fully grasp them. Like, they only get them on maybe one or two levels. Like, I 100% get that. But I don't feel like that applies to all of his movies, and I feel like sometimes the kind of artist in Nolan kind of dominates the movie, and, and other times just the blockbuster filmmaker dominates. But that, that's that's you know, I probably got to turn this off, so I got to head to bed. But we could definitely continue this conversation. I'd love to cover. Well, it'll it'll be this is like an exact just one of those rhetorical arguments <laughs> that has no no finish. Um, me and Sean have different ones like this, not about this subject, but just. 
probably when we're talking about other things besides movies, we have these philosophical debates that we've already had like 20 times before, and we just cover the same ground over and over again, but nothing ever really changes. Uh, yeah, well, but that's fine. That's fair. And in, in discussing the, the different movies, well, the extent of our disagreements will change, of course. Like, again, Inception, I think we'd be on the same page of being like, this is this excels beyond the bounds of a blockbuster in ways that a lot of people missed at the time. And then, and then another thing Nolan gets robbed of, he does these amazing things on camera, in camera, mm-hmm. and people go, yeah, that was pretty cool. But I swear, I feel like the majority of people look at it just like they would say, oh, that was cool in Fast and Furious 6 when like the car, like launched from one skyscraper and landed in the other skyscraper and they go that's cool but i feel like they they see nolan do some crazy shit visually in inception or tenant and they go and they they just interpret it the way they interpret a fast furious movie yeah and and unfortunately that makes me crazy too unfortunately i think that comes down to color grading some of nolan's films just have a certain look to them that you can't tell when things are cgi or real in the way that you could with other movies if they didn't look the way his movies looked. You're right, but I love that about his movies. And Vienna Waves are the same. I mean, in terms of color grading and, and blurring the lines. Yeah, and again, I, I feel like that's such a shame because it, it it doesn't take away because, again, the movies do look quite good. But yeah, it, it fools audiences into thinking, oh, this isn't as impressive as it is because they probably just assume it's CGI. I feel the same way, in a weird way, about like The Revenant. Yes, that had that problem too. Sadly, <laughs> it was a great film. And what blew me away, what blew me away, was when I watched the special features. And when you watch like behind the scenes on Revenant, it looks like you're watching behind the scenes of like a movie with a budget of like thirty million, like a modest, <laughs> like indie production. Is what it looks like when you watch the behind the scenes. But then when you see the finished project uh, product, it's it's as tight as anything. <laughs> yeah, stunning work. Stunning work. Yeah, but it doesn't look like that when you see the behind... Like, it looks like the behind-the-scenes of a Linklater movie. Uh, <laughs> when you just see them, like, on on set, on location. It looks very modest, but then the final product is just out of this fucking world. God, that's another movie. Do, do people remember The Revenant? I mean... I, I think only film lovers do. Only film buffs do. What a shame. I, I, I don't <laughs> think regular people do. All they remember is like, oh, yeah, that crazy fucking bear scene. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Hardy. I mean, great work. Leo was at the top of his game. Ugh. Such a shame that movies come just come and go. Like I'm that. pissed at people that, like, you know, they like Tom Hardy a lot in this movie or that movie. And then I go, oh, you like Tom Hardy? And I'm like, oh, you like something like The Sopranos or you like um, the show Ozark or Breaking Bad? I'm like, fucking watch Peaky Blinders. Nobody will fucking watch Peaky Blinders. What's so sad is I only watched the first season. And I watched it because of Tom Hardy and I just fell off and never picked it up again. (laughs) Was Tom Hardy in season one? No, season two. I missed him. (laughs) And then that's the thing. I tell people who are Tom Hardy fans. I think his performance in uh, Peaky Blinders is like in his top three performances I've ever seen him in anything. Yep. He is fucking amazing. And yeah, his screen time is not much in the series as a whole, but he just fucking lights that show up. 
And by the way, Killian Murphy. Oh, are you a big fan of his? One of my all-time favorites. Yep. Ever since the uh, twenty. I'll tell you what you might want to check out, and it it might be too much for you to handle. But um, I saw a little internet ad, like when I was on Instagram or Facebook the other day. You heard of the Calm app? No, never heard of it. Yeah, I'm only aware of it because I've seen random spots for it for like the last two years or something. And the Calm app, I learned from ads. It's just this app, and it has all these different things in it that are like supposed to help you settle down to go to bed. Um, like, you know, ocean sounds or someone reciting a poem or someone reciting a, durly, a daily affirmation. Take time. Reflect. Oh, no. And, you know, or, or it shows like these visual images that are, what do they call it, oddly satisfying and soothing. Mm-hmm. And so I've been aware of this app just because of ads. And then they're starting to get some celebrities to lend their voices um, and the ad I just saw a couple days ago for the Calm app and it's just a still image of his face you know and like I'm Cillian Murphy you know you may know me from my films but you know I'm here on the Calm app and I'd like to share some things with you about my home country Ireland the island I come from Ireland is the home of only six men and it's just him and his voice and a still image. I was taken away by Killian Murphy. I didn't even know how to say his name before until I heard him say, I'm Killian Murphy. I always said Cillian Murphy. Uh, I was taken away by that 10 second ad. I almost wanted to download the app right then and there. And I'm not a massive Killian Murphy, but I, I mean, I definitely do like him though. Uh, Especially in Peaky Blinders, that's probably the best thing he's ever done. Yeah, he's he's so good in that. Have you ever seen Sunshine? So good. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so good in that too. Yeah. Danny Boyle is another one of my favorites directors. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's another. Uh, there's these directors who have like a bunch of movies I like, but I still don't love them and their work as a whole, even though they have he. Denny Boyle for oh because okay so Slumdog Millionaire mm. is one of my all all time favorite movies Interesting. and it's almost like downsizing like it's 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 far greater than the sum of its parts to me like there's as much as I love downsizing I shouldn't love it that much mm. I feel the same way about Slumdog Millionaire I fucking love it on a Kubrickian level oh wow and I can almost not explain it. But that movie evokes so much emotion so many times because of the story. And that's, oh, that's how I feel about Forrest Gump. Were you the one who took a dump on Forrest Gump not too long ago? I, I didn't, I don't take a dump on it. I just don't love it. I think it's like a six out of ten. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have these crazy, irrational feelings for Forrest Gump, the movie. And I have the same thing for Slumdog Millionaire. It's, it's, it's a movie. It's not a tearjerker movie, but on it's it's on my list of guaranteed tearjerkers. Like it'll make me cry every single fucking time I watch that. Every single fucking time. Uh, and so when I fell in love with that movie when it came out, that's when I was like, okay, who's Danny Boyle? What has he done? And that's where I, that's why I saw Sunshine. Hmm. And pro- what did he do? Twenty eight days later. Oh yeah, that's the one that pulled me in. Twenty eight days. See, I had seen it before, uh, Slumdog, but then I felt like, oh, I have to revisit it. Yeah, and Train Spotting. Train Spotting is like what you have with 
okay. Slumdog Millionaire, where it's guaranteed tearjerker for me. So train spotting, you know, that's when I was, you know, four, three or four years after my Pulp Fiction revelation. And then all of a sudden, train spotting was the talk of the town, like Slacker was. <laughs> Everybody was talking about it in 97, 98. Everybody was talking about it. And I was like, all right, well, I'm on this quest to find the best movies I can find. <laughs> Let me watch Train Spotting. I rented it. <sighs> it's not that it's not that it's bad, because I'm sure it's not, and it's not. <laughs> but it was so unsettling and disconcerting to mm-hmm. me, which is by intent, I guess. It was very painful for me to watch. I don't want to call it a hate watch because that means something different. It wasn't a hate watch, but it was akin to a hate watch. Um, in that it was so difficult and painful and then when I got to the shit with the baby ooh goddamn, <laughs> that was DNF which is so rare especially for a good movie mm-hmm. that's probably the only good movie I had a DNF situation with did not finish because it was just too much did you see Requiem for a Dream when it came out or did you see it later I saw it when it came out for rental I heard about it checked it out that one I did finish Hmm. Me and Sean have talked about this many times off, off, off camera, off camera, off mic. Uh, which is, it's an astounding movie. It's absolutely the kind of it's it's a completely not Eric movie, except in film production values, it is an Eric. But in every other way, it's not an Eric movie. Hmm. Uh, I watched it. It struck so many chords in me, wrecked me, and it's one of those rare movies. That, that I watched once and I cannot watch again mm. because it was too much. But the anniversary or something of edition or 4K is coming out soon. Ooh. And I might give it a second chance because I'm really curious how I might react to it now. We should cover it. Uh, I'll pick up that 4K. I want, I've got a shitty old DVD. <laughs> I still think Jared Leto is a... Is underappreciated? Yep. Yeah, he, he's great. I Matt. still think, even though he's super appreciated now compared to 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I still think he's underappreciated to this day. Yeah, Damon Wayans turns in a good performance. Who would have fucking guessed? <laughs> Damon Wayans. I don't even remember that he was in it uh, uh, until you just said it. I think it was right after Dungeons and Dragons when he fucking ruined his career with that film. But, <laughs> but one of my biggest movie starlet crushes since I was a kid was always Jennifer Connelly and like Phoebe Cates the legendary Phoebe Cates <laughs> I always felt like Jennifer Con- Connelly was in far fewer movies than she should have been mm. especially when she was in her quote unquote prime um, she should have been in a thousand more movies mm. uh, than she was in her prime um, I was so happy to see her in uh, Alita Battle Angel. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I was happy to see her too. Um, and I didn't know she was going to be in it. And I was like, oh my God, Jennifer Connelly. I love her. <laughs> and then I was just, but at the same time, I was like, oh, but. Uh, it, I mean, I still love her, but it, uh, why didn't she make more movies in her 20s and 30s? Yeah. And I think she's the one who got me through Requiem for a Dream that helped me finish the movie yeah i'm such a daronofsky or <laughs> daronofsky aronofsky darren aronofsky acolyte i just like worship at the altar of his movies like you do with uh, nolan so <laughs> like i think he's one of the great filmmakers working yeah. today so 
But as much as I love Nolan, and he was definitely my hardcore director crush through most of the <clears throat> last decade. Um, well, actually, like the last two decades, practically. But um, but I'm still proud of myself that as much as I worship Nolan and yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna say his name for now. Um, I am still glad that I appreciate Bergman more hmm. after only seeing like 10 Bergman movies. And those 10 Bergman movies, or let's just say five Bergman movies, are not as good as the best five Nolan movies if you put them, if you match them up neck and neck. But I, I still hold Bergman in a high regard because he is all art and not technical execution. Hmm. Even though some of his movies do have some great technical execution, that is not his thing. It's it's like the art um, behind the camera. Uh, not just the camera, but uh, on the page. On the page. Yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. Like someone like George Romero. Like he's obviously not the craftsman that Nolan or Quentin Tarantino is. But I still hold him higher than those two is in my level of favorite directors. But As much as I will state over and over that you can get new things from watching a Nolan movie for the 15th time. Uh, whichever Nolan movie you want to choose. Um, as much as I think that's true. That's why I said like if you had to go to a desert island and you could only take one filmmaker's work. I would take Bergman's because, even though I haven't seen it at all, because I just know I could watch his movies 20 times over and still be like, oh, that's what he was meaning with that. Oh. Whereas Nolan's, even though it's true for those as well, I would get burned out faster if that's all I had. Um, I couldn't just only watch Nolan and not have anything else. Um but but Bergman would, because Nolan would be like would be like like I love pecan pie <laughs> and Nolan would be like pecan pie every fucking day yeah. all day every day and that would be a fucking nightmare uh, but Bergman would be like meat and potatoes and I could eat meat and potatoes much more day in day out than I could eat pecan pie yeah even so. even someone like Alfred Hitchcock over Nolan they have such a giant list of movies that cover so many different genres you know i mean you're just oh that's what i was gonna say earlier too i'm still holding out for tarantino to do a, f- a full on a full-on science fiction movie um and it yeah you know, obviously there's lots of different kinds of science fiction subgenres. i don't really care if it's space or not space or whatever whatever but i want to see a fully dedicated tarantino science fiction movie the way he went full on like with western or whatever I want that and I want to see Nolan you know what I'd love to see I'd love to see Nolan do his best effort at a horror movie Hmm. I have no idea what that would look like or what that would be but I would love to see like Nolan's take on like the horror genre interesting uh that makes me scared that he would screw it up somehow and embarrass himself. <laughs> uh, I, I would just love both those things. A, a Tarantino sci-fi movie and a Nolan 
horror movie. Because I can't think because I'm not a horror buff. But the way his plots and stories are so clockwork, um, like everything just fits. I would love to see because I know that sometimes happens with uh, some horror movies where you get to the end and it's like oh shit like it all just it all just magically fits together <laughs> um, and I would love to see like that through Nolan a horror movie that like oh shit oh yeah the killer did that because of that and and oh like you know like it would just all snap into focus at the end I would just, I, I would love to see a horror movie like that yeah, I guess it's that's the fun thing. We'll get to see where Nolan's career goes until cause he's still got so many more movies to make. Like if Nolan did like a, I mean this is stupid, but it, like if Nolan did like a scream like movie, um, Oof, I don't think like, that would work. <laughs> if it had like technical execution on that level, like within the plot and the story, and and you thought so and so was the killer the whole time. Even though when you go back and watch the movie, you see all the clues that so and so was really the killer. Oh, that would, that would be so amazing. Yeah, we can hope. I mean, I wonder what he's going to do next. I mean, I think he's kind of burned after Tenet. I don't know. Yeah, I almost feel like he's going to do something low-key. Yeah. Like like Prestige. He might move away from the studio projects. So I guess we'll see. And I would be all for it, too. Like a low-key Nolan movie. Because he's not really done something like that. Yeah, like since the prestige. And I know Netflix was courting him, and he was like, oh, maybe I'll go to Netflix, even though I don't want to go to the small screen, but he was so pissed at, I think it was Warner Brothers, so. Knowing Nolan, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 with the whole, that fiasco. Yeah, so I think what he's going to do is just like a fuck you, <laughs> so we'll see. But if he ever did Netflix, I feel like he'd work it out that he's still going to get, like, some type of theatrical distribution. Hmm. Um even if it's also streaming on Netflix. Oh, but yeah, catch you guys next time on some other show. Peace.